I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off just by saying something um, about this text here and some stuff that kind of comes to mind for us a lot of times. Uh, I want to make this statement that I believe is completely true. If you could lose your salvation, you totally would. I mean, let's just, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, let's, like, think about it for a second. Now, the whole question, can you lose it, can you not, right? And I know, I know there are many, many fantastic minds throughout the course of church history that have disagreed on this. So, uh, but I just want us to think for a second, if I could lose my salvation, I know that I would. I know that I would lose it. And what stops me from losing my salvation is because God has promised that I won't lose it. That's why I don't lose my salvation. It's not because I'm so strong and I'm so wise. I don't lose it because God has promised that I won't lose it. And that promise that he makes to me and to you is held together by the power of God and the blood of Jesus. That's what makes your salvation secure. So if you think about it, the only reason you've persevered as long as you have, right? I'm, it's 26 years or some 24 years that I've been a believer now. The only reason I'm still a believer to this day after 24 years it's because God has preserved me, not because Joby's preserved himself. Um, it's only because God has upheld me through the last 24 years. That's why I'm still here. That's the only reason I'm still here. If it was up to me, I would not still be here. You and I, we've had temptations. We've had moments of, of doubts, times where we wanted to give up maybe on our faith or on other things in life that God has given us. Uh, we've been allured into sin plenty of times. We've been enticed to take the easy route, the easy way out and various things that we've been uh, kind of had before us. And sometimes you've given in to some of those things. You've given in to some of those enticements, some of those temptations. But somehow you keep coming back to your shepherd. And that's not because of you. You don't keep coming back to him because you just wise up and you get some strength, and you just dig down deep and repent of your sin, you come back because he won't let you go that far. Because he is a good shepherd, that's why you keep coming back. And that's why, church, you're going to keep coming back to him. Because he is your good shepherd. You're not the good sheep. <laughs> He's the good shepherd. And I want us just to start off with that thought as we look into this, because God has promised that as your good shepherd, he will not lose you. He will not lose you. There is no other reason, and today we're going to see in God's word, there's no other reason for you still enduring in your faith today and tomorrow and the next day. There's no other reason other than the fact that God is your good shepherd and he will not lose you. And I hope that today, as we get into God's word, we are encouraged by this. this. This text, this truth should comfort our souls in a way where it's like a, a pillow for our wearied mind, for our, our, our doubting mind, our anxious minds that just wonder about tomorrow, that question our faith. And uh, when we have our doubts, I, I hope that this truth today is like this pillow that we can just rest our minds and our hearts upon. So I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do this very thing, to help us to find rest in this truth, 
to find um, maybe an, an exhale. We're just kind of, okay, I don't got this, but my good shepherd's got this. So let's pray and ask the Lord to, to do that in us and for us as we open up his word uh, to the second half of John chapter 10. Father, we do thank you that as we're going to see in your word today, that our salvation, our future is secure, uh, not because of anything that rests on us, but only because you have purchased us, you have shown us your mercy and your grace, you have brought us from a place of going nowhere, a, a place with no future, a place of darkness, sin, death, separation from you. You've saved us from that place and you've brought us into the kingdom of light, into your family. And as we're going to see today, we are kept in that family by your power, by the, the might of your hand, not the might of our hands, our minds, our hearts, but by your power and your power alone, this is how we stand today, and it's how we're going to stand tomorrow, and it's going to how we're going to stand on the last day of our life, and it's how we're going to stand before you in the next life, is by your power. So Holy Spirit, would you please lead us into this truth that these words, as we see these words in black and white, that they would just be so real to us. They would hit us in a way that they have not hit us before. They'd find a home in our hearts and they would go to work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. So John chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 22 going all the way to 42. I'm going to read through the whole text here. Uh, there's a few verses in here that are um, kind of interesting. We're going to look at those first to kind of um, help us get a little context, but also just kind of deal with, a little bit with the, uh, the elephant in the text here. You'll know what it is once we get to it. Uh, but uh, let's start in verse 22 here. So at that time, the Feast of Dedication, uh, which we know of as Hanukkah today, so this is the winter time. A couple months have passed. Uh, since the, the Good Shepherd discourse that we saw last week. Uh, at that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So he's back in Jerusalem, in the temple area. And the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I already told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. So he's calling back to what he said to them a couple months ago. You don't believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Now the Jews then picked up stones again. This is not the 
first time this has happened. They picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them and said, I've shown, uh, I've shown you many good works from the Father. Which of those good works are you going to stone me? Are you going to stone me for uh, healing the blind man? Uh, what, what, which of these miracles are you going to stone me for? And they said, no, it's, it's not for the good work that we're going to stone you, but it's for blasphemy. That's why we're stoning you. Because you're making yourself the same as God. You, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? He's pointing back to their law, holding them accountable to their law, to the scriptures. Isn't it said in your law, this is the quote from the Old Testament, it's the Lord speaking, saying, I said, you are gods. And if you've ever read through this text, you're just going, <laughs> what does this mean? And we're going to look at this first. And Jesus says, now if he, God, called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture can't be broken so we can't just toss that scripture out because we don't like it do you say of him whom the father consecrated so now he's speaking of himself are you saying of him the one that the father consecrated and sent into the world you're blaspheming simply because I said I'm the son of God so, so he's saying if God called other people gods why are you condemning me for calling myself God? If I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And then after this, he went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained and many came to him and they said, John didn't do any signs, but everything that John said about this man, Jesus, was true, and many believed in him there. So, fantastic section of scripture here, but not one without some question marks. So we'll spend a little time focusing on this first part to uh, get the gist of what Jesus is saying and what's going on in the story, but also to kind of, like I said, kind of get the uh, elephant in the text sort of dealt with first. I think it'll probably distract us if we don't deal with that one first. Uh, but I also know that it gives us some greater context as we back up into what Jesus actually did say, what made them so angry, why he brought this up. Uh, so again, a little time has passed. Uh, now it's uh, Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. Uh, and Jesus comes back into town and the Jewish leaders are thinking, ah, not this guy again, here he comes. And so they confront him and they say, look, enough of your crazy talk. Just tell us plainly that you're the Christ. But he says to them, I, I've already made my statements clear to you. I've said so many times, I've made it clear to you who I am. But you don't hear me because you're not my sheep. You don't know the good shepherd. And so once again, he's making statements that were blasphemous to their ears. And so they begin up to pick up these stones again. We're going to get to the actual words that he says uh, here in a little bit, but um, first we'll kind of look at this exchange and backtrack and focus on what Jesus said. So he says, I've shown you many good works. This is verse 32 from the Father. Which of them are you going to stone me? It's not for that. It's for you saying that you are God. And he says, isn't it written in your law? I said, the Lord, Father, says, you are gods. And if he called them gods, the word of God came and scripture can't be broken, then why are you accusing me? So he's pointing back to Psalm 82. All right, Psalm 82 is where the Lord says to human beings, you are gods. 
Uh, the Lord speaking in that section, in Psalm 82, to the judges of Israel, uh, the men who were to be righteous judges, uh, acting on behalf of God as his ambassadors. They're supposed to be enacting justice. And they were even known kind of commonly um, in that day as gods, little g gods, because of the role that they had. Kind of like how uh, we might call a, a Supreme Court judge a justice, even though they aren't justice, we call them justice. But they're not justice, but that's just the role. They're supposed to enact justice, so we call them a justice, even though they aren't justice, but they are to bestow justice and act on the side of justice. Now, these judges, known as gods in this day, they were to be righteous judge and representatives of God. But they actually failed, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Let's look at Psalm 82. You can open with me if you like. Psalm 82, um, it's just eight verses. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. So God is kind of coming down and taking his place in this divine council in the midst of the lowercase g gods. He holds judgment. Now, you might think this is kind of a, a picture of God taking sort of his place in the midst of lowercase g gods, like different sort of false gods of the, the earth. Um, but it's going to become clear that these gods are definitely uh, humans who have very particular roles and duties to carry out on the earth, particularly in Israel. And he says, as he enters into this divine council, he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked. So God is speaking to these human judges in Israel saying, how long are you going to do your job poorly and look away from justice and give partiality to the wicked? You're treating the wicked better than the innocent. How long are you going to do this? You're my judges. You're supposed to be like little gods who enact my justice amongst my people. How long are you going to fail at this? And so he says, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is what you should be doing as judges, as little g gods among Israel. If you're going to be the hands and feet of me, you've got to be doing the right thing. Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted. And speaking of these judges whom he calls little g-gods, he says, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. A very similar language as we saw last week when he talks about the shepherds or what we kind of saw in, in Ezekiel, kind of talking about the, the falseness of Israel's shepherds. Now he's kind of pointing out the judges as well. And then it says in verse 6, I said, the Lord says, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince because they are just men. So you're supposed to act like me. You're supposed to enact justice in my stead, be the hands and feet on this earth and amongst my people. But you're, because you're just men, you will die and you'll fall like every prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And the Lord seems to refer to them as these kind of lowercase g gods because of their godlike role as judges. People are supposed to be acting on God's behalf, enacting justice, taking care of the weak and the fatherless. 
uh, maintaining the afflicted and destitute. These are all things that God does. But God entrusts the care of his people to humans, pastors, shepherds, in this case, judges. And so they are acting on his behalf. They're supposed to be rescuing the needy. This was their task to be God's hands and feet, kind of him incarnate, so to speak. And so he says, you, you guys are little G gods. And like, do you know that the word Christian means little Christ? But you're not the Christ and you're not even a little Christ, <laughs> but you're supposed to act like a little Christ. And so these are supposed to be people that are acting like God, judges, similar possibly maybe how uh, sometimes you know, we don't really use it in, in our country, but how we might call someone my Lord. Even though they're not the Lord, but they're my Lord. Or pastors who are called shepherds of the church, but we're not the shepherd. Or to be under shepherds. Our scripture says there are many gods, lowercase g, but yet there's only one true God. So it doesn't mean that humans are truly gods with some kind of power, some God-ish power, but we are to be God-like. We're to be Christ-like. And so what Jesus is doing here is appealing to these Pharisees in a particular way. He says, you guys know Psalm 82. God gave authority and a role for sinful humans to hold. They themselves were called gods by the people and they were supposed to act like me. Yet they failed and they were corrupt. But you didn't stone them for blasphemy. And they did a terrible job. You didn't stone them for blasphemy. And now here I come. I'm actually proving myself by my works. They disproved themselves. I proved myself. And you stone me for blasphemy? What about them? You're being inconsistent. And he says, scripture can't be broken. Are you just going to get rid of Psalm 82 real quick because it's convenient for you so you can stone me? You can't do that. You got to hold true to, to God's word. I'm proving myself by my actions and works, not just by empty speech or a role that was given to me. I've proven it. And you want to stone me. You're being very inconsistent, very hypocritical. So here's what he says in verse 37. Look, if I'm not doing the works of my father, if I'm like those judges, then don't believe me. If I'm not proving myself, then don't believe me. But if I do those works, if I do them, even though you don't believe me and my claim, at least believe the works. At least be objective. At least open your eyes and look and see. This way, he says, you might actually know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. If you're not quite there yet, you believe that I'm one with the Father, at least believe what's in front of you. I'm proving myself. Start there. And then you might understand what I'm saying. He's saying just be objective. You might understand the relationship I have with my Father. And it's this relationship with the Father that we're going to focus on today as it's his claims about his relationship with his father that what got him into hot water again. So let's look now, as we've kind of dealt a little bit with that elephant in the text there, and that will kind of frame up what we're going to see as we backtrack a bit. Let's look at what Jesus' claims were. We're going to want to remind ourselves briefly on what last week's word pictures were. Remember, Jesus told the people, including these very Jewish leaders, that he himself is the good shepherd that they failed as shepherds. Now he's pointing out to even their kind of forefathers that they've also failed not only as shepherds, but also as judges and little g gods. 
And I was saying, now I'm the good shepherd though. I'm the good shepherd. I'm also the door or the gate and my father's the gatekeeper. So this is what he told the, these guys a couple months previous. And in that picture, the, the gatekeeper and the gate, so you've got the gatekeeper, the father, the gate, who is Jesus, they are intimately intertwined. They are different with different roles. They work in perfect unison. The gatekeeper allows those to go in and out of the gate. He's the one that allows them in to watch over the sheep. And though it's the good shepherd who lays his life down, it's the gatekeeper who even allows the shepherd to have the sheep in the first place. So the, the, the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, but it's the gatekeeper who actually even allows the good shepherd to have access to the sheep. So he can't lay his life down unless the gatekeeper gives him access to those sheep. So they are intertwined here. They're working together in tandem, in perfection. Their roles are different, but they are united. So let's look again at verse 24 to 30. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly that you're the Christ. And he said, I told you you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's three primary claims that we're going to look at. These are in your notes, so you can follow along as I go through them. Three primary claims with kind of some, some sub-claims in there, so there's really more than three, but the first one we want to look at what Jesus says is this claim that he's making, that of course is making these Pharisees upset, want to stone him for blasphemy. He says, I give them eternal life. And then kind of a sub-point, their sub-claim here is that, but it's my Father who gave them to me. I give them eternal life, though it's my Father who gave them to me in the first place. God's Word tells us that the Father had mercifully and graciously and lovingly given His Son a very specific mission. And that mission was to seek and save those whom He, the Father, had written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. So before anything existed, God's Word says, and we're going to see this in the text today, God's Word says that God the Father had a book of life. Before the earth was made, before you were created, before you were born, He had this book of life, and He wrote a bunch of names in that book of life. And He gave that book of life to the Son. He said, I want you to go to the earth and save these people right here. They don't deserve it. They're sinners. They've warred against us. They've become our enemies. They don't like us. They don't want us. They're going to crucify you, actually. They're going to totally sin against you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to reject you. But I want you to go save them. That was the mission that God the Father gave to the Good Shepherd. Go seek and save these lost sheep. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like you to open with me here because I'm going to go through a, a few sections or about 10 or 11 verses here. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, this is Paul the Apostle. 
He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as, and here's the first kind of big section here, even as he, God the Father, chose us in him, in, in, in Christ. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in Christ so that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, this is all because of love, nothing else. In love, he, God the Father, predestined, so predetermined, wrote your name in the book of life, predetermined you to be adopted to himself as sons. But how did this happen? This happened through Jesus Christ. Not through you or your faith, your strength, but through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, God the Father's will. Not through the purpose of your will. You weren't even born. Through the purpose of God the Father's will, he chose by his own will to save you, even though you didn't deserve it. And he does, does this to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Capital B, beloved, that means Jesus. We've been blessed with this because we are in Christ. And in him, now we're talking about Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's how we are saved, because we are in him. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. This is all according to his purpose, his plan, according to his purpose, which he set forth, okay? God the Father initiated this purpose and plan in Christ. The gatekeeper gives access to this plan to save sheep to Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now in him, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We're going to get on this theme of inheritance a bit today. And then we've obtained an inheritance. Inheritance is something you get in the future. Something that's given to you. Something you are, that you inherit. You're given it. You haven't earned it. It's just been given to you. And then we've obtained an inheritance, having been, again, predestined, predetermined, written in that book before we were born, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Once again, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee. Not just the, the vague hope, not the big maybe. No, the guarantee of your inheritance, your inheritance is guaranteed until we acquire possession of it. So you're guaranteed this inheritance until the day you get it, and then it's yours. But until that day comes, you're guaranteed to get it. So the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
So church, if you are a born-again believer, one of his sheep who knows his voice, that means that he chose you before the foundation of the world. And he's done this in love in order to bring praise to his amazing grace that he's shown to us. And this was planned. It was his plan to save you. And it was set forth and carried out and accomplished by Christ. Which is why Jesus says here, I give them eternal life. I do this. I give this to them. But it's also why Jesus makes clear that it's his Father who gave them to him. This was set in motion by my Father to be accomplished through me. I give them eternal life. I give eternal life to the ones that the Father gave to me. Now he presses even more. This is number two in your notes. He says to just to go a little further, just in case we're still wondering and doubting. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's how good I am. I'm an awesome shepherd. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And not only that, no one's going to snatch them out of my father's hand. Even if you could get them out of my hand, which you can't, you have to also go through my father. My father's greater than everyone, he says. And no one can snatch them out of his hand. Maybe you think you might be able to get through me, but you can't. But you got to get through two of us. And then he says even, they will never perish. Ever. They, they can't perish. So now going back into Ephesians, we saw that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, back in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, church, you won't be lost. You won't be lost. And also, you can't be lost. It's not just that you won't, it's that you can't. That you can wander, you can wander, and you do, and you have. But he won't lose you. You'll wander, you'll get yourself hurt. You'll get yourself tumbling down a ravine, caught in a thicket, find yourself in danger of some wolves, but he won't lose you. He's promised this. You have been sealed with a guarantee. A guarantee that you will receive this promised inheritance. This guarantee that the Holy Spirit was given to you as a seal to actually shut you and seal you. To be that guarantee all the days of your life until you finally receive and take possession of this future inheritance. Until that day comes, you have this guarantee, this seal all of this, Ephesians says, in order to make us stand in awe and wonder and praise towards the glory and the majesty of God and his mercy and grace towards us. This is just to make us just so amazed with how beautiful God is. God did this for me? God chose me for no other reason other than in love? Me, an ill-deserving sinner? He, he laid his life down just simply because of his love towards me. We wouldn't pat ourselves on the back for 
being so strong in our faith, for being able to, to hold on to God for all these years and persevere. Uh, he doesn't do this so we can kind of give ourselves props for all this. But he does this so that we would stand amazed that he made it possible and made it sure that we would persevere. You persevere because he promised that you would. And he did it this way so that we would be amazed that it's only because of his power that we do persevere and that we will persevere. Jesus has been given this plan to save those that the Father has given to him, and no one will be able to change that plan. No one can change the plan that God has for you. No one. God's too strong for that. If the Father has chosen to save you, no one and nothing will stop him. Nothing will come in between you and him. Nothing can come in between you and him. Jesus said, my father is greater than all. He's greater than all. This is the equivalent of Jesus saying, look, my dad can beat up your dad. Right? That's what he's saying. My dad's the biggest. He's the best. He's saying that to you. He's saying that to the enemy. He's saying that to everyone in all of existence. Look, no one can snatch these guys out of my hands because my father's greater than all. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 gives us a very, another great picture of this. Verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham, since God had no one greater by whom to swear, right? Normally you swear by something greater than yourself. I swear by my mother's grave. I swear by this, I swear by that. But who's God going to swear by? I swear by uh, me. He swears by himself. He wants to prove to you that he means it. So he says, I'm going to swear by something, the greatest thing I can think of, and that's me. He can't swear by his mother's grave. He can't do any of that. So when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. I kind of find that sort of funny-ish because it's just, it's almost kind of cute that he does that for us. Look, I'll even swear by myself just to make you guys convinced. He says, surely to Abraham, surely I will bless you and I'll multiply you. And so thus Abraham, having patiently waited into old age, he obtained the promise. Now, why did Abraham get this promise? Because God swore to himself that he'll give him the promise. Not because Abraham was so awesome. Abraham waited and received the promise because God is the one who promised it. And he swore by himself that he'd give it to him. It says in verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Shake hands, sign your name, whatever it is, some oath is final. Now, when God wanted to show more convincingly, God wants to convince you, He wants you to believe and be so convinced. So He wanted to show more convincing to the heirs. Okay, we're going back to this theme of inheritance. You're an heir. You have an inheritance that you're waiting for. And he wants you to be convinced of something, okay? He wants you to be convinced. So he's saying, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's you. He wants to convince you of something. He wants to convince you of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, that his purpose and plan cannot be changed. He wants you to be convinced of this. So, he do he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for god to lie god can't lie 
Apostle for God, like we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this, this promise as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This is our anchor. This is our promise, this unchangeable promise, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Church, it's not that he won't lose you, it's that he can't lose you. He won't lose you because he can't lose you. It's not that he won't let you go, it's that he can't let you go. There are some things that God cannot do. We saw one right here in Hebrews chapter 6. It's impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. There are things God can't do. God can't sin. God can't break his promises. And he can't let go of those whom he has already chosen to save and those who have already been purchased by the blood of Christ. His blood will never lose its power. He can't lose, he can't lose you. It can't happen. We're going to skip forward to John 17. The, the night before Jesus died, he's praying to his father. He says, Father, I, I've manifested your name. I've made your name known to the people whom you gave me out of the world. You, you gave me some folks, and I made your name known to them. Yours they were, because you're the gatekeeper. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. They've persevered. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they've received them. And they've come to know in truth that I came from you. Because we're his sheep. And they've believed that you sent me. And I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but those. Rather, I'm praying for those who you have given me. Because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I'm no longer in the world but they are in the world. Jesus is leaving but we're, we remain here and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. And he prays to his Father, keep them in your name which you've given me that they may be one even as we are one. And while I was with them, he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. I kept them in your name which you have given me, I've guarded them because he's a good shepherd. And not one of them has been lost, except for there was one that was lost. That was the son of destruction. That was Judas. But that was part of the plan. So he says, I've not lost one single sheep. Not one of these names has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that the scripture would be fulfilled. That was the one exception to this. But every single other one, I've guarded them. I've laid my life down for them. Not one of them has been lost. We see this in what is many Christians' favorite sections of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, those whom he wrote in the book of life, chosen from the foundation of the earth, those people, he also called them. And those people that he called, he, he justified them. He forgave them, purchased them. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, the, another way to say glorified is those who have received their inheritance. They've gone into the next life. They've been glorified. They've received their inheritance. Now, what I want you to notice about that section, of that, that one verse, is there is absolutely no atrophy between these two. It doesn't say those whom he predestined, he also called some of them. And some of the 
Those he called, he also justified. And some of those he justified, he also glorified and gave them their inheritance. It doesn't say that. Everyone, if you follow the line, everyone whom he predestined wrote in that book of life, every single one was called, justified, and received their inheritance, was glorified. Every single one. It's not some, some, some. A few, a few, a few. It's all of them. Everyone who was predestined was glorified. Jesus says, I'm not going to lose a single one. I didn't lose a single one. I can't lose a single one. So then he goes on in verse 31. So what should we say about this? What if we have this awesome truth? If God is for us, if he's stronger than all, if he's our good shepherd, if he's for us, and nothing can beat him, nothing is stronger than him, well, then who can be against us? If he's greater than all, and we're his, and he can't lose us, well, then who can actually be against us? No one can snatch us out of his hands. He, God the Father, who didn't spare his own son, but actually gave his son up for us all, how will that same God not also with Christ graciously give us everything we need? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is going to condemn us? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So he says, so who can separate us? Who can snatch us out of the Father's hands? Who can snatch us out of the loving hands of Christ? Can tribulation do it? Can your struggles, your trials, can distress or persecution, can, can that snatch you out of the Father's hands? Or famine? Or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Can any of those things snatch you out of the Father's hands? As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're going through all of this stuff. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not because of us, but through him who loved us. Because we are in him, this is why we are more than conquerors. And I am sure, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death. Now, in case I missed anything, I'm going to add one more little clause in here. Nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us and snatch us out of the hands from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can do this. Nothing. Nothing at all. And Paul wants us to be clear. The author of Hebrews wants us to be clear. God wants us to be clear on this. That we'd be convinced of this. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. Not even you can snatch yourself out of the hand of God. Since you're a someone, right? Everyone here is a someone. That also means that you're a no one, right? Because when he says, no one can snatch you out of my hands, right? If you're a someone, that means you're a no one. So praise the Lord that you're a no one. You're nobody, okay? That's a good thing that you're nobody because that means you're in that group of no ones that have the non-ability to snatch yourself out of God's hand. Does that make sense, right? Since no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands, that means you also cannot snatch yourself out of the Father's hands. You can try, you can run, you can fall down a little cliff, you can do all kinds of things, get yourself stuck in some mess, but your good shepherd will always bring you home. He'll always, always, always bring you into the sheepfold. Every sheep will be counted at the end of each day. And that gatekeeper every single day will say to the good shepherd, well done, good faithful servant. Because Jesus is not like the judges of Israel. He's not like the shepherds of Israel. He is different. He is better because he's God. 
This is why he has the ability to do this. This is a savior that we have that is so strong that no one can stop his plan. An inheritance that has been so guaranteed by the oath and promise of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, so that no one can steal the inheritance and even you can't lose it. And trust me, church, you would lose it. I mean, I misplaced my wallet. I misplaced my keys. You better believe I would misplace my salvation. I would do it. First Peter chapter 1. We, we launched our church going through First Peter, and this was one of the first sermons we did. I know that every time this comes up, I know there's something that just kind of gets stirred up in your heart to just remind you of one of these early truths that we went through in our church. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. God the Father's great mercy. God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance is being kept in heaven for you. It's being guarded by God's power. Why? Because if you got your hands on it, you would lose it. You would let it fade. You would defile it. You would squander it. So he says, look, I'm not going to let you have the inheritance now. Because if I gave it to you, you'll lose it. So I'm going to keep it in heaven under lock and key, under my power. And I'm going to keep it for you until that day. But don't worry, everyone I predestined, I called, everyone called, I justified, and everyone I justified, I'm going to glorify you. You're going to get your inheritance. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit in the meantime to be the guarantee and the seal of that salvation. You will get your inheritance because I've sent my son and he's not going to lose a single one of you. He's going to bring all of you into the sheepfold. And when you come in that sheepfold on that last day, you will receive the inheritance because I've been keeping it for you under lock and key, under my power, and it is undefiled, imperishable, and unfading because it's under my control, not your control. So your inheritance, church, can't fade. Your salvation can't fade away. Your, your heart's going to grow cold from time to time, but your salvation will never fade. God will always bring you back. It is his promise. And it's only by grace that you persevere in your faith. This is why it's being guarded by God's power. Church, your salvation is not about you. It's about God. It's about God's glory and God's mercy and God's grace and God's love and God's patience and his beauty being made known through you. He wants all those things about him to be made known through you. This is why he saved you. The glorious grace and love and unlikely forgiveness being put on display by and through an ill-deserving sinner like yourself. You've only been saved because you've been chosen for the foundation of the world to be hidden in Christ. And that phrase, and that phrase to be hidden in Christ is sometimes, uh, what does that mean exactly? I kind of get this picture, not a, a very good analogy, but it kind of helps. It's, it's like a Trojan horse, right? You remember the the Trojan horse, this gift that's been given, and but there's these guys that are inside hiding, and so like it's an ambush, right? And so, so here's Christ. He's kind of our Trojan horse. We get to kind of sneak in because we're hidden inside of him. We don't, we don't, we shouldn't be there. We shouldn't get this inheritance. That's why the New Testament calls it a scandal. We shouldn't be given this great gift. We should not be allowed in heaven, but we get to go in through the Trojan horse. Now, the, where it breaks down is that it's not like Jesus tricks God the Father, like, hey, can I come in? You know, that's not 
going on. This is all by God the Father's decree. That's where the analogy breaks down. But I picture that. I know I don't deserve to be in that kingdom, but I get to sneak in by the Trojan horse of Jesus Christ, but with the God the Father's permission. <laughs> so all this has been set, and it's true and it's unbreakable, that Jesus can make all these claims as well as prove his claims by his miracles and works. And so then lastly, number three, he says, I and the Father are one. He's letting these Pharisees know that he has indeed been sent by God. But that he's not just merely a prophet who does the work of God. He's not just working in tandem with God. Just that, though that is true. He's not just doing the work of God like the, how the judges of Psalm 82 were supposed to do. But that he himself has the authority of God to give salvation because he is indeed one with God because he is God his works, his miracles, and now his claim to be able to not just give salvation, but be the one who keeps our salvation. This is Jesus making clear that he is no mere man. He's no mere judge or little g God who will pass away as all men and princes do. But he is the prince of peace. He is the capital G God, the capital J judge. He's the he's one with God Almighty, God in the flesh, and he's not just sent by God, but he is the sent God. Not just sent by God, but he is the sent God. God who sent himself to reveal his glory, his mercy, his grace, his love, to, to come and be near the brokenhearted, to rescue the broken, to satisfy the spiritually hungry and thirsty, to be their bread of life, their living water, to be a light for the spiritually blind, to be the good shepherd that leads and guides and protects and feeds his flock. And he makes it clear, I will not fail. I cannot fail because I and the Father are one. We come to a God who is not distant, nor is he absent or unconcerned with your trials, your pain. He's not waiting for you just to mess up so he can condemn you and chastise you. He's not also expecting you in your own strength to amaze him. And make him proud with your great perseverance, your ability to live so morally upright, have such great faith. You don't have to live in that kind of performancism. He knows you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to be the perfect mom or dad, the great and loyal friend, the perfect son or daughter of God, the perfect Christian. He knows that if it was in your hands, you would lose your salvation you defile the inheritance and ruin everything else that he's given you. This is why he has sworn to himself that he will keep you. He will preserve you and he'll hold you and that no one will be able to snatch you from him. He's bought you for a price. And that's the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that will never lose its power. The blood that is unfading, undefiled and imperishable just like the inheritance that it protects. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no other God like you. There is no other shepherd like you, no other prince like you.
There is no one like you. When we look at these truths, we look at these scriptures, and just as your word says that, that God, you want us to be so convinced of your promises. Your servant Paul said that he's certain of these promises. And your son makes it so clear that no one can snatch us out of his hands nor out of your hands. That nothing can separate us. That you will keep each and every one of us. All of your sheep will be counted. And we know that we don't deserve this. We have not earned this. Every human who has lived on this earth has no right to this, has no claim to this, because all have fallen short of your glory. All have sinned against you and gone our own way. We might ask ourselves, why you've saved us, why you've chosen me. I mean, I, I know I, I wonder that often, and I know that the answer is not in myself. You didn't have to save anyone. You could have condemned and judged every single one of us. You could have ended the whole thing after Adam and Eve if you wanted, but you endured, you patiently endured. And you chose to save many in order to put on display your glory, your goodness, your love, your mercy. And we thank you that you have called us your children, your sons, your daughters. Help us to be so amazed at this, to be so shocked by this that we just want to share this with our friends, our family, so that many more sons and daughters would be brought into your glory. We thank you, Lord. We love you. It's in your mighty, precious, and amazing name that we pray. Amen.